Hi, Genesis Church. I'm Steve Davis, Chairman of the Board of Elders. As Paul announced last September, we have something exciting coming up in the life of the church in May. We've been awarded a sabbatical for our lead pastor from the Lilly Endowment Clergy Renewal Fund. We know that the health of a church is strongly connected to the health of its pastoral leadership. We also know that it's hard to make time for rest and relaxation while in the throes of full-time ministry. That's why sabbatical has long been a tradition in the church. Sabbatical comes from the same word as Sabbath, meaning rest. And we're excited that we have this opportunity to offer sabbatical to Paul. Paul and his family do an amazing job caring for this church. And this is one way that we could be fairly intentional about caring for Paul and his family too. So the elders applied for this grant and were successful, meaning that the Lilly Endowment will fully fund Paul's sabbatical starting in May. We have many things to be thankful for here at Genesis, but one of the things we're especially thankful for is a strong staff. The kind of staff that gives us confidence that while Paul is gone, we don't have to put things on pause. Pray that Paul gets the time away that he needs and rest and rejuvenation that's required for the next season in ministry here at Genesis. And pray for Genesis Church and all the great things that are going to happen both this summer and upon Paul's return this fall. Thanks for your prayers and your support. And as you see Paul and Jenny between now and May, wish them a renewing and restful sabbatical experience. thank you for that. I really do appreciate it. And I want to thank you, Genesis, uh, for the opportunity uh, to take this sabbatical. I, um, you might remember if you were around, I first announced this back uh, in September after receiving word uh, from the Lilly Foundation. Um, but based on some things that happened here one month ago, uh, we felt like it would be uh, appropriate uh, to just take a, a sh some short time and, and pray through again together, uh, the elders, um, our family, and I know our staff and many of you, and just ask the Lord, is this the right time? Is the, this the right season uh, to do that. Well, um, I'm uh, just so grateful that after taking some time to pray, the elders are encouraged, enthusiastic, and wanting to proceed. Our staff has been awesome. Uh, they are standing right by me and have strongly encouraged me to move ahead with plans. And I know many of you uh, that were aware of this and have been praying with me too. And so thank you. Thank you for your prayers and support. Uh, thank you for the opportunity uh, to enjoy this grant and this time away. Um, I, I am very grateful for that. And for those of you uh, that are just hearing about this, let me just give you the, the kind of the brief background around it. I, I was one of 29 pastors uh, from Indiana selected for this fifth. $50,000 uh, sabbatical grant. Lilly Foundation does some incredible things all throughout the state. They do similar uh, sabbaticals, uh, grants for teachers and educators. They've got this great program for pastors. And I know quite a few that have been on the receiving end of this. I know that this coming year, there's another pastor from Noblesville and one from Carmel uh, that have also received this grant. The theme of my grant was and is Walking as Jesus Walked. And uh, while I've got the opportunity, uh, while the priority, excuse me, of the grant from the Lilly Foundation is rest and renewal, uh, I'm going to get some really cool opportunities uh, this summer, starting with, in May, a two-week study trip to Israel, uh, where I'm going to be traveling with a, a teacher and a, a bunch of people. Um, I've got a lot of books I want to read this summer, pastors I want to spend time with, friends in ministry uh, that I want to connect with. Lilly wants you to plan something incredible for your family. And 
us. So for my family, we're going to go to Alaska together in July for a land tour and then a cruise. Uh, sounds like tough work, right? You know? Um, and then uh, my wife and I are going to get some time away towards the end of it in New York City, just the two of us. It happens to coincide with our anniversary. There are a couple of churches there, uh, one church that has a spectacular prayer ministry uh, that I'm looking forward to seeing and experiencing. And so Sunday, May 7th, will be my last Sunday teaching, and then I'll be back mid-May. And so it works out to be about 14 uh, weeks away. I want you to know that our executive pastor, Steve Wallen, Steve preaches most of the time at our Carmel campus, he'll be in charge while. I'm gone. Uh, he and Kevin and Ben are going to do all of the preaching. We'll have a few guests that will come through here uh, this summer too uh, that I, I trust are going to be wonderful people. Uh, Josh Tandy's one, a, a church that we support in Cincinnati. He's going to come back this summer, so I'm excited for that. I just want you to know we've got a great team. And we have a fantastic staff. And I tell you, they have just been so encouraging in saying, you know what, we got this. And I know that it's going to mean some extra responsibility on them while I'm gone, but I am thankful for that. Now, I want to say this. I realize, and others have ruined this for some of us, I realize that any time a pastor takes a sabbatical, uh, there's always there, this fear or all, always these questions of will he come back or is he going to leave? And I want to address that this morning by saying this. In the words of the great philosopher, Arnold Schwarzenegger, <laughs> I'll be back, all right? Uh, I'll be back. And I, I want you to know from every part of me that I love this church. And I am praying that it is the Lord's desire that I get to spend my life here with you. And uh, we, we love this place. There's no place that I would rather serve. And so I'm thankful for the opportunity to receive this grant. And I really look forward to serving with you when I return in August. So thanks again for your support. Thank you so much. We've got a great church. God's doing some awesome things here. What a great time of worship this morning. Appreciate Stephen and uh, Joel leading us in worship. And uh, if you're new with us, uh, we're finishing up today. We're in the fifth week of this series uh, called A Praying Life. Uh, if you've missed any of the previous weeks, I hope you'll go back and check them out uh, on our podcast. Uh, the series is based off a book, uh, a book by this guy by the name of Paul Miller. He wrote a book called A Praying Life. I know many of you are reading it. Uh, we've got a whole bunch of our connection groups, people reading this together, talking about these things discussing them. Uh, here's what I want to do. I thought it would be fun at the very end of this series to do something a little different today. And so I've got some different things planned for this teaching time. And one of those is I want you to hear from some of the people in our church that have been reading this book and learning and gaining from it. So I've got three guests that are going to join me this morning. I'm going to ask them to come up at this time. And so it doesn't seem awkward to them. Will you just applaud as they're coming, even though you don't know who they are or what they are going to say? Yeah, choose, choose your chair. So, hey, let me introduce these uh, fine folks to you. Uh, Michael Morgan and his wife Haley have been coming to Genesis for a couple of years now. Uh, they've got four children. Michael had the chance to go to Myanmar recently uh, with one of our mission teams, and I know that's having a big impact on his life. Man, get to know uh, their family. I love the kingdom mentality they have behind the business that the Lord has given them and just some of the exciting things they're praying about and hoping to do with their lives. Uh, Kendra Lose here in the center. Kendra is a sophomore at Noblesville High School. Uh, you might recognize 
recognize Kendra from playing the keys uh, on Sunday mornings for us. And she serves week after week after week after week after week in our Gen Kids ministry. And she and her two sisters and their family, and we love having the Los family here. And then finally, Jim Vaselli, uh, his wife, Kathleen. Uh, when I think of the two of them, I think encouragement and faith. And uh, Jim is a great buddy of mine. He leads the connection group that I'm in on Wednesday mornings. I love uh, Jim's friendship, Kathleen, too. Uh, they're great people. We've got a great church and great people in our church. So thank you for being uh, brave enough uh, to come up here this morning and to share a little bit. Um, I just tapped each of you on the shoulder and wanted to hear a little bit about what you're learning, uh, whether it be from this series, the book, any combination of those, uh, and kind of in uh, that time of prayer, you know, what it means to have a praying life. So I thought we'd start off with a real easy one. Mike, it's appropriate with you sitting here. Maybe just kind of comment on the worst sin you've ever committed. Let's just sure, get let's that get out there right, right away, uh, and then we'll, uh, we'll move on. So, Buckle in. <laughs> no, but seriously. Mike, when you think about this book, uh, maybe, you know, even imagine you're on an elevator, you got 30 seconds to kind of share or sell this book to someone. What's been the big takeaway, the big impression for you in reading it? Yeah, so for me, growing up um, in the Christian church and, and being a believer for a while, prayer isn't a new concept for me, um, and, and it's not even something that I'm necessarily uncomfortable with, but um, I really found it poignant, the idea of how sometimes I miss the idea of the intimacy of being in the presence of the Lord, and, and I can get caught up in all of the, the theology and the doctrine of what is prayer and what do we say and who do we say and all, all of these um, process and structure of it all, but the idea of what is it like to be in the presence of the Lord, I think this book really uh, gave me a refresh and renewed vision of, of not missing that. Yeah, I love that. How about you, Kendra? Uh, I really liked how he, Pamela used the personal stories to use as examples and make the book more relatable. And it wasn't just a textbook on prayer, but it was a guy who was just sharing what he learned. And he was really passionate about helping other believers just grow into a more intimate relationship with God. Yeah, yeah, well said, you know, and I think, I mean, would you all agree? I mean, it, it's so rich, but it's so down to earth. I mean, and, and, you know, a pastor and just his own personal struggles in prayer and in life and some of the disappointments and challenges in life. I mean, you know, I mean, don't, don't be fearful of a book like this. And, I mean, it really is, is down to earth and very practical. How about, how about for you, Jim? That's pretty much exactly what I was going to say. I, <laughs> all right. Well, I really enjoy <laughs> I really enjoy um, uh, Ravi Zacharias. He's an apologist and, a, and an evangelist. And he says when you're conveying something, when you're conveying truth, you need to convey it at level one, which is the uh, logic and reason, and then illustrate it from level two, which is stories and imagination or from the arts, and then really bring it down to level three, which is the kitchen table. And this book does all three perfectly. I mean, it's such a it, I think it's, it should be like considered a classic on prayer for the church yeah. in the West today. Yeah. It really is that, that good. Yeah, and I would say my experience is, I mean, he's, Paul Miller's a little bit of an unknown in the writing world, but I am seeing this book reference. I, th I think it was maybe written in 2009 or something, but I, I've, I'm finding more and more and more pastors talking about this book and what it means not only for them, but, but also for their church as well. What about, well, let's come back to you, Mike. If you, if you had to boil it down to one thing, and I know that might be a challenge uh, for any of us to do if you've been reading it, but is there one thing that stands out to you that's left the greatest impact on your life so far? Yeah, I think, so in, in this season, I feel like I have really struggled with how do I define success from professional to family, and, and I've always valued the 
the men who can pull themselves up by their bootstraps and do it themselves and they um, can control things. And, and so I valued that in my own life. And so I, I have this constant tension of wanting to control and, and um, it, it leaves me feeling anxious. And so anxiety is something that I deal a lot with. And so I'll read a quick section of this book. Um, it talks about kind of the relationship between prayer and anxiety and, and how um, Adam and Eve had this unbroken fellowship with God um, and that continuous prayer was normal. But when they sought independence from God, they, they stopped walking with him and there was this broken prayer link. And then he says, so what does a broken prayer link look like? It's anxiety. Instead of connecting with God, our spirits fly around like severed powered lines. And I feel like, oh, that's, that's me, a severed powered line. Um, and, and then there's, there's a section here that says, we become anxious when we take a God-like stance, occupying ourselves with things too great for us. We return to sanity by becoming like little children. And one of the unique things about continuous prayer is that it is its own answer to prayer. That when your heart becomes quiet, you rest, not because there's magic in the words, but because your eyes are no longer raised too high. So anxiety is unable to relax in the face of chaos, but continuous prayer clings to the Father in the face of chaos. That's good. And so in business and for kids and family and everything, chaos rules in my life, but the idea of clinging to the Father instead of what I control has been something that has really hit home for me. I love that. How about you, Kendra? Okay, I also have a part of the book that I thought was cool that I want to share. It says, I woke up in the middle of the night recently with this rather odd question on my mind. How would you love someone without prayer? I would be powerless to do the other person any real good. People are far too complicated, the world is far too evil, and my own heart is too far off center to be able to love adequately without praying. I need Jesus. And the part, the part that really got me thinking was the question, how would you love someone without prayer? And so I began to think about the people I love and how much I pray for them. And the answer is not enough. And so I definitely want to start praying more for the people that I love so that I can be able to see God working through their lives. I love that. Thanks. Jim? It's a good thing the Holy Spirit's in charge because I was going to read what you read. So. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't. I didn't pick that. We didn't so. talk about that in advance. So. No, we didn't. <laughs> Um, but uh, one of the things that um, I would say about the book that, that really touched me was the part where, of course, he, he goes into looking at the, the, uh, the Lord's Prayer, and he, he spends some time uh, talking about the, the all-important line that we kind of gloss over sometimes, which is, thy will be done. Because mm -hmm. we sometimes, we, I think we pray, and we're, we're praying, and we're asking God for God's help, but we're asking God for God's help to get our will done. And kingdom prayers ask for his will to be done. Mm -hmm. And this, this section that I'm going to read for you, or part of it, is uh, worth the price of admission. I mean, it's 10 bucks on Amazon this, just for these two pages. You could read this. Sing, we could sing three songs and go home on a Sunday. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's that good. <laughs> but he's... Let's do he's, it. He's good at selling this. <laughs> we can do it this summer. Okay. One, one day this summer. So, yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Um, it's, it's, on, uh, it's on page 158, and it talks about getting in touch with our self-will. And it's, a, it's the best commentary on the Sermon on the Mount I've ever heard. And so I just want to read a couple of sentences from each paragraph. It says, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is a blueprint for getting in touch with your self-will and letting God take control. Jesus introduces us to what it means to be a child of our Heavenly Father. To understand the sermon, think of your life as a room filled with open doors called money, sex, power, and fame. 
Jesus begins his sermon by telling you he is going through your life and, and close all the doors to human power and glory. In the Beatitudes, he says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. In other words, he's saying, give, give up power in relationships, and I'll show you an entirely different way of life. In the rest of chapter 5, Jesus closes one door after the other. He tells you to empower your enemies, those who abuse you, to, shrink, uh, to think of their needs. If you suspect someone is irritated with you, don't wait for that person to come to you. Go to him or her, even if it isn't your fault. Jesus closes the door to revenge. In chapter 6, Jesus uh, deals with us wanting to look spiritual. He tells you to keep your prayer life hidden. Don't use it to make yourself look good. Then Jesus closes the door to getting your security from money. He says, instead, of, instead give your money away. Give your money away. Now you've lost the security of money. You may begin to panic and say, who's going to take care of me? And Jesus says, your father will, will. Look at the lilies of the field and seek my father's kingdom first. As you begin chapter 7, you have a new view of the world. You've learned how to put God at the center. Everywhere you look, people are so caught up with stuff. Now Jesus taps you on the shoulder and says, stop judging. When you see someone else's sin, instead of using that to, uh, information to correct them, use that to humble yourself by first finding the beam in your own eye. Having closed all your doors, Jesus opens the door to prayer and tells you how to get things done. He asks for help from his father. He talks to his father and tells him what he wants. Prayer is the positive side of the surrendered will. If you stop using your own will and wait for God, you enter his mind. You begin to remain in him, to abide, and this is the praying life. Mm. And that was, that was just so convicting for me to say that I'm, I'm constantly praying for my will to be done, and I need to really find out what it means to pray for his will to be done. Yeah, and I think, too, I mean, if you are new with us today, like, and thinking, man, they're really pushing this book hard. We're getting no kickback on this book or anything like that. But I love the way, and you three have illustrated it well. I mean, he, he uh, is pointing to the, to the relationship that we have with the Father and urging, you know, every single one of us, spend time with the Lord. Like, make it not out of duty. Like, this isn't something out of duty. But what you're going to see happen in your life is you continue in time with the fathers, you're going to want to be there and you're going to really understand how much you need to be there and really how fully dependent on God we are. So let's wrap up with this. You know, I mean, as you think about just where you are in life right now, this series, even in reading this book, what do you want to see the Lord do in your prayer life in the coming months? Yeah, so something that's been new for me in this season of faith is um, beginning to pray uh, for other guys uh, around me that, that I'm in friendship with and relationship with. And so, um, there's been three guys specifically over the past six weeks that, that I've been praying for every day um, in hopes to be able to have uh, some sort of discipleship kind of relationship with them. And so something that I'm really looking forward to is that audacious faith that we ask for. Um, Lord, what would that look like to have a relationship that was a deeper, meaningful relationship where we discover faith together? And so that's something that I am praying for and, and excited to be able to see is what is God going to do through those three guys? Yeah. Kendra? Um, I definitely want to become more dependent on the Father, and I want to get to the point where I can express everything on my heart but still surrender it to him. And I want to get back into a regular praying routine and use Paul Miller's prayer card tool, which if you haven't read the book, it's basically you just take index cards and write a family member or a friend's name on each one along with the verse that you want to pray for them.
and then you can just pray and then sit back and watch how God is weaving his story. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly what I was, my takeaway was. And, and next time I'll sit over there. Yeah, yeah. we got to switch. We got to switch. But no, I, and, and I think it's been, it's already been a benefit to me. I, I already made three prayer cards. One was, one was for me. And I'll share it with you. It's, I, I asked God for a verse, and I felt he led me to 1 Corinthians 16, 9. And um, my desire is always to be used. And um, so he led me to uh, that verse, and it's for a wide door of effective service has opened for me. And I asked, uh, you know, and, and I wrote down the phrases, be of use, be holy, be fruitful, be an ambassador, be a husband, be humble. And... Um, He's already speaking to me in that, and I, I made one for my wife, and we discussed it last night, and she's, she said, <laughs> she said uh, it, it was uh, Galatians 6.2, and it just, it, bear one another's burdens, and therefore fulfill the law of Christ, and um, I, it's, for her it was be healthy, be fruitful, be his completely, be an ambassador, be a wife, and be humble, and mm -hmm. she said that really spoke to something that's been on her heart for the last couple of weeks. And then in the last few um, weeks or so, I've just uh, run into situation after situation where the young men in our church are struggling, Whereas, whether it's either struggling with peer pressure or struggling with life in general or, um, you know, uh, the pulls of, of the flesh, whatever it is. Um, so God led me to, to, to create one just as young men on it. And there's some names on it. Of course, I won't share those. But, and it was 1 Timothy 1.5. 5, it says that the goal of this love that comes from a pure heart, good conscience, and a sincere faith, sound teaching based on the glorious gospel of our blessed God. And I'm just praying for that or for the young men of our church who are, who are just facing the, the, the temptations and the, and the pulls of the world that would pulls them away from God. Yeah, I love it. Let me, uh, let me pray uh, for each of you. Uh, thanks for sharing with us today. Let me, let me, let me pray. Uh, Father in heaven, uh, thank you for how uh, you selected Michael and Kendra and Jim today uh, to share with us. I trust that there are many more people here, Father, uh, that are being uh, touched and, uh, Lord, um, that you are speaking to them in powerful ways right now, that there's just a curiosity and a desire to spend time with you, Lord, and just this hope that we will encounter, well, everything we've been talking about, just someone who is loving and compassionate. Lord, you are a loving and compassionate Father, Lord, we, we want to be praying people so that we can say that we're a praying church. And so will you continue moving in us? Will you continue moving in these three and in their families, Father? And uh, Father, will you bless them, Lord, for their testimony and for their faith and their desire uh, to have even more of you? We thank you and praise you. And it's in Jesus' name we offer up these things. Amen. Hey, will you join me in thanking these three for coming up here and sharing today? You know, as Kendra referenced there, and if you aren't familiar with the book, uh, the last section, there really is some very practical, like, how, how, how do you pray through these things? I know there are times when I just feel very overwhelmed and trying to keep up with all of the prayers, and he's got some great insight uh, that could be very valuable, I think, for any one of us, no matter uh, the stage or season of life that you are in right now. But I'll tell you what, as you read it, as you uh, practice praying, one of the things that you're going to find, one of the things that I'm finding is that I am terribly dependent on God. 
Uh, I am terribly and completely dependent on God for so many different things. I mean, we, we need time alone with him. I mean, I find the more that I pray, the more I realize that I need time alone every day, uh, time to be alone with God in prayer. But do you know who was the most dependent person ever when it comes to prayer? Uh, it's Jesus. Like, like it, it might surprise you. I, I would encourage you to read through the Gospels, to read through the first four books of the New Testament with a question like that in mind and really read it from the perspective of seeing how dependent on prayer Jesus really was. Prayer was a vital part of Jesus' life and ministry. And to think that of all of the questions his disciples could have asked him, what did they ask? They asked Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? I mean, they, they saw him perform miracles but yet the question they wanted to know is, Jesus, would you teach us about prayer? They were so fascinated by his prayer life. See, uh, prayer was so central to who Jesus was. It was so uh, central to him being fully human. And the disciples realized that what made him different from so many of the other rabbis and leaders and teachers was his vital relationship with God. Uh, that was found and encountered uh, through prayer. I want to show you a video this morning. It's about six minutes long. Uh, it's a video from a guy by the name of Dan Spader uh, teaching in Israel specifically on the life of Jesus, the prayers of Jesus. Dan wrote a study called Walking as Jesus Walked. Uh, it's a study that the theme of my sabbatical grant is based off of. And I know some of you are familiar with that study too, but I want you to check out what he has to say about prayer and the life of Jesus. Check this out. Sitting here on the north side of the Sea of Galilee, uh, overlooking the beautiful sea up on the mountainside in what is many have called the Eremos Cave. Uh, Eremos is a Greek word that means solitary or lonely, deserted. The scripture tells us in Luke 5, 16, Jesus would often slip away to a lonely place or to a deserted place, to often slip away to pray. Many people speculate this is a place where Jesus would often come in the north side of the Sea of Galilee, close to where he did many of his miracles. Mark chapter 6 tells us that after he fed the 5,000 people, then he'd heard also just before this of John the Baptist being beheaded and his disciples had been sent out and he knew Herod Antipas was probably out to get him. Jesus pushed his disciples out in a boat, and he says, go to the other side. And then he slipped up to the mountainside to pray. And scripture says he came in late of the evening, and then the third watcher, three in the morning, he walks to his disciples out on the water. So that meant he was six to nine hours up here on the mountainside praying. You know, there are 45 times, 33 different instances in the life of Christ where he said he would often slip away to pray or get away to pray. And I just wondered what Jesus would pray about in moments like this. In his humanity, what can we learn from his prayer life? I've studied those instances many times in Jesus' life. And every time I've studied them, I learn something new about Jesus and prayer. And we're to think and act like Jesus. I wonder here if he was sitting in this cave, knowing all the events that have gone on, the feeding of the 5,000, John being beheaded, the people wanting to make him king in John chapter 6. What was he praying about for that six to nine hours before he went out and walked on the water with his disciples? I can't imagine him not praying for his own disciples. I can imagine him that night praying for John's disciples and maybe even some of the relatives of Jesus that were, took the news really hard when they heard John had been beheaded. 
wondering why people questioning, why didn't Jesus get him out of prisoners? Because he said he came to set the prisoners free, and yet John was not set free. I'm sure he's praying for the people involved in that. I'm sure Jesus was praying for those who were wanting to make him king, knowing that they had the wrong attitude. I'm sure Jesus sat here and as he saw his disciples straining at the oars, he prayed for them and prayed for the next steps in their life. Many, many things Jesus prayed for. I'm sure even in his humanity, when he'd heard about his cousin John being beheaded and he didn't know until somebody told him. And it seemingly then at the right away, Jesus wanted to get away because he was grieving in his heart. He loved John. That was his cousin. Jesus knew he was going to face what John faced. And I'm sure he had to get away and just languish a while and listen to his father for next steps. I love to study the prayer life of Jesus and just look at the context around the context and imagine what he prayed for because our prayer life needs to imitate that of Jesus. You see, in all of those instances where you study Jesus' prayer life, it's fascinating to me. Jesus' ministry began with prayer where he says while he was praying at his baptism, the spirit came upon him. And his ministry ended in prayer. The last words on the cross were a word of prayer, and a centurion believed because of that prayer. Jesus launched his ministry at the very beginning with 40 days of fasting and prayer. What would happen in our ministries if we devoted that type of prayer to any new ministry launch? Before every major turning point in Jesus' life, you find him coming out of prayer. You find it in Mark 1 where he said, we must go to the other cities in town. That came after a time of prayer. You find it in Matthew 9 where he said, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. And then he said, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. You find it in Luke 9 before he went up to Caesarea Philippi. He's praying for his disciples. And then he asked him, who do you say that I am? You find it in Luke 9 also before he chose the 12. He spent the whole night in prayer before he chose the 12. We can learn so much from the prayer life of Jesus. You find Jesus praying, Jesus praying, Jesus praying, and then the Bible says the disciples watched. And then Jesus prayed, Jesus prayed, and the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. It seemed like those closest to Jesus knew that what made him different from every other leader was his prayer life. His prayer life, and he said, Lord, teach us to pray. Matter of fact, if you didn't know where Jesus was, uh, you could often find him in prayer. That's how Judas knew where to find Jesus in the garden. He was a time of prayer. The busier Jesus became, the more he prayed. Matter of fact, check it out to see if it's not true. Not that we could learn anything from that. But the busier he became, the more you would find him working hard to get away to pray. You see, I believe Jesus in his humanity, he may have not known all the next steps to take, but he knew where to get the next step. And that's why Jesus prayed so much. Prayer for Jesus was a time of listening, Psalm 5.3, directing his words to the Father and then listening, listening. I think prayer for Jesus was a time of, of learning. It was during that time the Father spoke to him, taught him, gave him insight, showed him the next step. I think prayer for Jesus was simply a time of loving on his Father and allowing his heart to be refreshed. And, and it was a time also languishing just in the Father's presence. And in that way, his heart could be renewed. I think even up here, probably he was busy, he was tired, he was consumed. He had a heavy heart with John being murdered. And Jesus just languishes in the presence of the Father, waiting on the Lord. And then his strength was renewed. Uh, may God guide you this week as you study 
the prayer life of Jesus. And you discuss it as a group. Look at the text around the text and say, what can we learn? What does it mean to pray as Jesus prayed? I'm really excited that I'm going to get to go to that place, you know, even where Dan was teaching from and see that firsthand. But what I wanted you to hear and experience in that video wasn't so much, but although I think it can be helpful of even those places that Jesus likely prayed from, but just to see how central prayer was to who Jesus was and, and is, so central to him being fully human. Again, Luke records that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to pray. And what did he pray about? Well, Dan mentioned something of these in the video. He prayed about things like his, his decisions. He, he prayed about things like next steps in ministry. He prayed about uh, hurts and concerns. He, even Jesus prayed for things like wisdom. He, he prayed about those things that he was learning. There were times, certainly, where he turned to the Father looking for comfort, and he prayed when he was tired. The busier that Jesus got, the more that he retreated to be alone with the Lord And I think more than anything, I think what Jesus' example demonstrates for us, his regular time in prayer, is it just reminds us of how important the relationship with our Father really is. And it was so important and so significant to Jesus. Jesus didn't pray out of duty. He prayed about, you know, his desire was to get closer and closer to the Father through prayer. Here's the thing. Here's the thing for us. Every relationship. Every relationship in your life, if it's going to grow, needs space and time, you know, for two people to get to know each other, to grow in that intimate relationship. Paul Miller writes this, he says, you don't create intimacy, you make room for it. And that means that we're not going to discover intimacy with God outside of making time with him each and every day. Uh, Making ourselves available to him, to talk to him, to listen to him, to be alone with our Bibles and uh, to just be quiet. And spending those times in prayer. Uh, You need to know this. You're you're not going to grow. You and I, we're not going to grow in our relationship with God outside of daily time alone with the Lord in prayer. I I can't emphasize this enough for us. Uh, And and even when you think about it, I mean, this whole experience, everything we do, it's, it's not just about getting you here on Sundays. Like, that's not the goal of this, even, that, even though that's important. But really the goal is, is it's about introducing you to a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. See, there is nothing more satisfying. There is nothing more satisfying than a relationship with our Father in heaven. And Jesus is the one. He's the one that makes that possible for us. I, um, I had to learn this a little bit of a, of a, of a hard way. Um, but I'm thankful for God's grace and thankful for God catching me at just the right time. I think it's been three or four years uh, now. It was, a, it was a February. I can still remember where I was sitting on that day, and there was just this overwhelming sense, really, of just kind of an emptiness. Like, I, I got nothing left to give. You ever been in a place like that where you just like, I just feel like I keep giving and giving and giving, and I've got nothing left? I, how do I keep going? And I didn't have anything glaring going on in my life. My, my marriage was great and is great. And I remember talking with Jenny just about that very question that day. And, well, she encouraged me to take a step that many pastors have encouraged me with along the way. And that is, hey, Paul, as a pastor, it's okay to sit in a counselor's chair once in a while. Kind of like you would go to the dentist for a checkup. It's okay to go and just kind of have a, a, a mental, spiritual checkup with a counselor from time to time. And I've done that before in my life. And so, again, it's been three or four years ago, but kind of following that that day and kind of sharing with my wife, I realized, you know what, I need to take that step. And so I went and 
uh, sat for a couple of hours one day with a real godly man and counselor, and he just asked me lots of questions that day and talked and encouraged me and shared scripture with me. I remember him talking about the passage that talks about how our lives are sometimes like these cisterns, but really, if we're not filling them with the Lord, if we're not allowing Jesus to be the living water in our life, I mean, they're cisterns that they, they can't hold anything. And and I was just beginning to realize that, you know, I'm trying to find significance in ministry. I'm trying to find significance in drive and ambition to do these things on my own. And so it was a really helpful time. And I, I still remember getting in, that car, in my car that day to drive home. And as I was driving home, I was just kind of thinking and processing and really still feeling very empty. But encountering the Lord that day on my drive home and just hearing him say this to me, hearing him saying, Paul, here's what you really need. What you've been neglecting is time with me. You, you, you give a lot of yourself to preparing for ministry, but what you're not doing, what you're not taking the time to do every day is you're not taking the time to be alone with me. And, and I really heard him say, Paul, I'm everything that you need. And I remember coming home and sharing that with Jenny that day and just asking her to hold me accountable in this. And boy, that, that day, that moment for me just kind of initiated a new season of life and ministry of carving out time every day to be alone with the Lord and to be quiet with Him and to sit with Him and to pray and to read His Word and to hear from Him and to take my fears to Him and all of my anxieties. I mean, some of the things that were even being shared from the stage just a little while ago. And I can't tell you the difference that it has made in my life. And, and do I have a perfect score when it comes to spending time with the Lord each and every day? No, I'm not perfect at it, but I'm dependent on it. And when I miss it and when I take that time, don't take that time, I, I know it and I realize it. And so I'm making it a priority uh, to be alone with the Lord every single day. And through it, I'm finding how dependent I really am. But I'm also discovering this, that there is nothing greater. There is nothing more satisfying than a growing, intimate relationship with a father who desperately loves spending time with us and spending time with you, and because of my time of prayer and, uh, and, and time in the Word, I know I'm, I'm, I'm making every effort to be a better father. I'm making every effort to be a better husband, to be a better pastor, and I've got more joy, and I think he keeps me humble and more peace, and I've got greater confidence in God and what I believe that he can do in my life and wants to do through me, and I want you to know that too. And if you're not experiencing that in your life right now, I want you to know, know the joy and the satisfaction of a growing relationship with our Father in heaven. You're, you're not going to experience that type of satisfaction outside of a commitment to get with Him and to be with Him and to be alone with the Lord every single day. And so as we wrap up this series today, that's just simply my challenge to you. My challenge to you is to make it a priority to be alone with the Lord every single day. And even if some days that's only five minutes for you, even as you get started, even if that's just five minutes for you, let that five minutes eventually become 10 minutes and that 10 minutes eventually become 15 minutes or 30 minutes. But take that time to be alone with the Lord every single day and open your Bible and practice praying and experience the peace and the joy and the satisfaction of a Father who loves us and cares for us and desires to lead us into what we could call and believe to be a praying life, a life that Jesus lived, where he took every moment and every question and every thought he ever had before his Father in heaven. I want to close with this passage 
for you. And I, I was reading this passage even this morning as I was spending time alone with the Lord and drinking a cup of coffee and just kind of preparing for the day here. It comes out of Psalm 91 uh, and verse 1, and we're not exactly sure who wrote these words. There are different thoughts on who the writer may have been, but I love, I love the, the power behind these words. Listen to these. Psalm 91, verse 1, the psalmist writes, whoever dwells, I mean, whoever, whoever comes continually, really begins to, to kind of set the direction of their life on being with the Lord, not just in the morning, but really all day long. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. And that shadow is a symbol of his protection and his security and his warmth for us. The psalmist says, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge. He's my safe place. He's my fortress, my God in whom I trust. He says, surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will, he's one that rescues us. He's a protector. And then he ends with this in verse 4. He says, he will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge, and his faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. And so yet we have this picture of this mighty, holy father, and at the very same time, well, really the symbol of a, of a hen who cares for her chicks. And in that same way, the father is one who protects and he's the one that gathers us in. And he wants to gather you in. And for you to be under his protection and care and warmth and guidance. He's a faithful God. And I pray that you will let him be your shield and your protector and your fortress each and every day. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are a loving father. We have a great and mighty God in you, and do we truly know, do we truly understand the privilege that it is that we have been invited into this relationship with you, one where you want to guide and lead and protect and provide and offer your comfort and care. And I want every person here to know that and to experience that in their lives. I want that for our church. I want us to be able to know the joy of saying we're praying people and that we are a praying church and that we have a mighty and loving and compassionate Father, one who loves to spend time with us. I want each person here today to know that, Lord. And so I pray that you would encourage in your own special way each person here today. And for some, it means motivation. For some, it's grace. For some, it's encouragement. But, Father, we want to know your care and know your love. Father, draw us into a deeper, more intimate relationship with you. We want the praying life, to know your will, and to live for you in everything that we do. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.